welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me from taken me taken from me friend and neighbor darkness is my closest friend Uh, good morning everyone Uh, it's great to be here again please do keep your bibles open particularly to psalm uh, 88 um, as we wrestle with the psalm together Uh, before we begin i'm just going to pray heavenly father we thank you that you have given us this book of psalms which is so rich so diverse that gives us words that we can reflect back on you, reflect back to you. And so, Father, as this psalm that we've just read this morning might be uncomfortable for many of us, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would, through your word, through by your Spirit, you would shape us, mold us into people who rightly reflect all of our lives to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one question I want to ask us as we begin this is what is a psalm like this doing in our Bibles? So even if you walked in here in a happy mood, um, do you feel a bit depressed after that Bible reading? Right? I mean, there are plenty of laments, right? We're not foreigners to lament in the Bible. Uh, songs expressing sorrow, grief in this book of Psalms. In fact, a big chunk of the book of Psalms is lament. But when we look at Psalm 88, it's different. Psalm 88 is one of the only Psalms of lament which doesn't really express much positivity. It ends not in a place of praise, of resolution, But as Mikey 
reminded us, it, it ends in a really dark place. Right? Other laments, they, they sort of encourage us to progress in our grief, to resolve their cry with God. Right? Remembering what God has done in the past. These psalms end with a renewed, renewed trust and hope in God to save them, but not Psalm 88. After the first verse, these, this psalm, these verses seem stuck Stuck in groaning, stuck in complaining. And it ends with darkness is my closest friend. And so as we are confronted with this psalm today, I just want to ask us all, what are we meant to do with it, right? When we think about us as, as Christians, right, living on this side of the cross, is this meant to be an example for us to, to follow when we face suffering? Or isn't it, right? Is this someone who is maybe weak in their faith, right? They're just stuck. They can't get out of their despair. Maybe this is an example of what not to do. Or was this once a good choice, but, you know, now that we have heaven, eternal life sort of uh, in the air for us to look forward to, maybe, maybe as Christians we, we can't say the psalm anymore or sing the psalm anymore. What are we supposed to do with a psalm like this? Well, let me just first walk through the psalm first and then we can think through whether or not this psalm might be appropriate for us today or not. Let's start at verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me. And you say, look, there's something positive there, right? That's great. The psalmist identifies God as the one who saves, but what is unusual about this beginning is just exactly how short this acknowledgement is. Right? Other, other psalms, they, they heap praise upon praise to God. They're, they're painting elaborate images, pictures of God's saving character, holding up God's impressive CV of His mighty works, His compassion, His justice, His love, but not here. Just a, a single line. And the psalmist goes straight into his request. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. And right away, we can tell this is, this is not just any old prayer for help, right? He isn't quietly praying in comfort, listing out some of the things he wants God to do for him. This psalmist is going through intense distress. He is crying out to God. Day and night he cries out constantly, begging God to pay attention. Please listen to me. Why? Because listen, listen to his experience, verses 3 to 5. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. See, one thing you we read over and over again is this guy's fixation with death. He is near to death, like one going down to the pit. He is set apart with the dead, like those who lie in the grave. Whatever troubles he's facing, he is so overwhelmed, he is so at the end of his rope that he pretty much considers himself dead already, right? So far gone that he may as well be lying in his grave right now. So weak, facing so many impossible obstacles that he just doesn't see any hope out of his situation. But what is the worst part? That's not the worst part. What is the worst part of it all? He feels like God has abandoned him, cut off from God's care, no longer remembered by God. 
Now, at this point, I wonder if you're feeling a bit uncomfortable about this already. Because, come on, man, haven't you done your theology? How can you say that God does not remember you, that God doesn't care about you? Can the psalmist really say that? But now it even gets more intense, because who does the psalmist squarely place the blame? Verses 6 to 9. You have put me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me. You have taken from me my closest friend. See, it's not even just like, God, you allowed this to happen, right? That you just sort of sat there as, you know, all this was happening to me as I was pushed closer and closer into my grave. But see what the psalmist says here. You are the one responsible, God. You are the only one responsible for my pain, for my suffering. And to make things worse, not only is this God the one inflicting the pain, but verse 8, God is the one who has taken away all the support of the psalmist, his closest friends. God has made the psalmist repulsive to them. It's a picture of those who the psalmist should really be closest with, those who should be comforting him, sitting with his grief, but instead they look on in disgust, turning away, maybe blaming him, mocking him, maybe avoiding eye contact when they see them on the street. And so what is the psalmist to do? Verse 8, I am confined and cannot escape, trapped, imprisoned by my suffering, my loneliness and rejection. And he's losing hope. Verse 9, my eyes are dim with grief. So when you read the Psalms, often you, you t- the Psalms tell of those who use their eyes to what? They look towards God for their salvation, right? I lift my eyes towards the hills. To you, I lift my eyes. My eyes are towards you, O God, as I await your salvation. But here, what is the psalmist doing? Well, what is he not doing? He's done. His eyes are done looking. They've been looking for too long. They've been waiting for God too long. His eyes are on the verge of closing forever. He can't do it anymore. But then there's a surge of intensity. He comes at it from another angle. He appeals to God to save him so that God might be glorified. Verses 9 to 12. I call to you, Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? And just to make clear here, the, in, in the worldview of the psalmist, in the Old Testament, it's pretty safe for him to say that if I die, then that's game over, right? The fuller revelation of the new heavens and the new earth, of eternal life after death, that, that hasn't come to the psalmist yet. And so he appeals to God's character to bring glory to himself. He says, if I die, if I end up lifeless, buried in the ground, what good is it to you, God? Can I still praise you? Can the world see your wonderful salvation at work in my life? Make your name great, God. Glorify yourself through me. And at this point, it's it's hard to tell whether the psalmist is sort of speaking in line with God's will. Yes, God, glorify yourself. Do it for the sake of your name. Or or maybe he's just so wracked with with pain and suffering that he's just, just, just saying anything that God might listen to him. Maybe it's for his own sake, or maybe it's a bit of both. It can be like that in suffering, can't it? But what we do know 
is that this psalmist is desperate, absolutely desperate. It's like his last-ditch effort to get God's attention. And the psalmist brings his cry out to God to a close in the most heart-wrenching way. Verses 15 to 18. From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's his summary. That's his life story. Since his youth, he has borne God's suffering. All all his life, he feels that God's wrath, God's terror is destroying him. And this isn't just some light and momentary uncomfort, discomfort for the psalmist. This is long, continual, protracted suffering. It's too much. I am in despair. Your terrors have destroyed me. They completely engulfed me. God, I can't take it anymore. I have no hope. I'm all alone. And even you aren't answering me. I've had it. And so he ends, darkness is my closest friend. I wonder what you're feeling now as we've gone through the psalm again. Maybe you're wondering, is this psalm legit? Right? Are we allowed to talk to God like this, accusing God for our suffering, maybe even blaming God for being unjust towards us? Or is this an example that we should be following, right? I think for us, uh, our, our knee-jerk reaction to Psalm 88 might be to write it off, right? This is, this is not how we show faith in God. This is what an immature Christian might say, because haven't we read Romans 8.28? Come on, right? And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That's what the spiritual person would would meditate on, right? So how can we ever doubt God's goodness in our lives? Or maybe we might even say, look, this psalm was for back then, right before God's people knew of Christ's victory over death, before they knew of the glory that awaits for those who follow God's King, as we read in 2 Corinthians 4 right, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's no comparison, right? This suffering that we face in this life, light and momentary compared to the eternal glory. So how can we complain no matter how hard things get? But I think there's more to Psalm 88 than we think. And I think that Psalm 88 is instead a gift to us as God's people to help us navigate through times where there doesn't look like there's any hope in this life. And and why do I say this? Well, it's not only because it's part of the Scriptures, part of the Psalms, but look at the first line of the Psalm. Not even the first line, but what is above the Psalm? Who is it written for? This Psalm was written for the director of music. What does that mean? That means that this Psalm is supposed to be sung by God's people together on a regular basis. Is that surprising to you, right? These are probably not the songs that we we think of when we think of the church coming together to praise God, right? These lyrics, as dark as they are, therefore God's redeemed people coming together to sing to one another, to sing to God together as part of their worship to God. And so the question is how? How and why is this a good example for God's people to sing and pray? 
Well, I think the first thing we need to note is what this psalm is not doing. This psalm is not complaining about God, right? This psalm is not complaining about God. Uh, did, you, did you notice that as we read the psalm? Because this psalmist is not venting his anger and frustration, talking about God's lack of faithfulness behind his back, as it were. The psalmist is directing his complaint to God. And that's a completely different thing, isn't it? By complaining to God, he isn't turning his back on God or giving up on God, because by talking to God, he is actually revealing, he is executing his faith in God, so to speak, even even as he feels like God is not listening, even as he feels like God has rejected him. But by crying out to God, he's saying, this is how I feel. This is what it looks like to me, God. God, it feels like you're not there. It feels like I've been completely abandoned. It feels like you just don't care. But I know you are there. And so I will continue to cry out to you all the same. At the same time that the psalmist is crying out to God, at the same time he says how wrong this is. This isn't you, God. I know who you are. You are the God who saves me. Why are you allowing this to happen? He isn't allowing his feelings to override his faith. This is a person whose deep trust in the God of the Scriptures is expressed. Even when his life experience doesn't line up with his beliefs about God, he still knows that it is only God that can save him. And so he doesn't stop crying out to God. And this leads to another reason why the psalm is a helpful example of how and why to cry out to God in our pain. Because in this psalm, God's sovereignty is declared, right? In this psalm, God's sovereignty is declared. At times of suffering, you, you might have heard some Christians try and defend or protect God right? They might say stuff like, look, I know you're suffering, but it's not God who's doing this to you, right? It, it, it's Satan at work, or it, it's sin. It, it's something else. God loves you. God wouldn't do this to you. God doesn't want this to happen to you. And this is so often done with really good intentions, right? But can you see the problem with that? Painting a picture of God who's just standing there powerless while Satan just has his way with you, pouring out his evil intent on your life? Is that reassuring? Right? It can't be it. That doesn't even fit with the God of, of the Scriptures. And so this psalmist points a finger at God saying, you did this, God. And isn't that actually consistent with God as our sovereign ruler over all of creation? And more than that, can you actually see how this actually testifies that God is the only one that can actually save him? God put the psalmist there, right? It's no accident. It's not like God messed up and, and Satan got in, right? God put the psalmist there, and so God is ultimately the only one that can get the psalmist out to rescue him. And what about the tone, right? It sounds like so disrespectful. He's accusing God. Can we say such words to God? Well, I think one hurdle we need to face as we wrestle with laments like this is that where, where are we when we usually read the Psalms like this? I know for me, I'm sitting on a nice comfy sofa, bubble tea in one hand in front of a big, big screen TV, right? Many of us haven't experienced such pain, such life-threatening persecution maybe. By and large, by and large, 
we haven't really suffered in a way that makes us feel like we're allowed to, that, that we can even express these words. And that's probably true. Many of us haven't. It's not like I sprain my wrist and I burst out in a, a Psalm 88 to cry out to God. That's not the reason why I'm wearing this, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but the thing is, some of us actually have, right? In, in a congregation of this size, I'm sure some of us have experienced extreme pain, extreme darkness before. Maybe it's years of chronic depression. And as you switch from one medication to another, each time you see a little bit of progress just to fall back into darkness again. Seeing one counselor after another and you're just sick of explaining your life story to them again. No end in sight. And as the years drag on, you wonder, why hasn't God answered my prayer? Am I doing something wrong? Is God even there? Are you listening to me? And so maybe this might be your cry to God. In the morning, my prayer comes to you, God. Why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me after all these years? Or maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one a family member, a close friend, your own child, maybe miscarriage. And when that happens, when, when it's personal, right? When, when, when pain and suffering is no longer theoretical or abstract, when it feels like your soul has just been ripped apart, do we wonder, how can you allow this to happen, God? Why did you do this, God? I don't understand. Because I know up here, you are a God of compassion, of love. But my experience right now, my reality in the last couple of weeks, months, years, it just feels like you're not that at all. Right? It feels like I'm sitting in my lowest pit and you're not even there. Are you really who I think you are? And as we struggle to see how we ever crawl out of the dark pit of despair, as we wonder how we can survive with this giant hole in our lives, we might feel like crying out, your terrors, God, have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. And so I hope you can start to see why Psalms like Psalm 88 are so important for God's people, right? Because at a time... When, when we are most likely to, to buckle under the pressure at a time when the world is crumbling all around us, that is a time that we attempted to just give up on God, isn't it? To turn away, to, to, to just, you know, stuff it. I've had enough. But what does this psalm do? This psalm, instead of telling us we just need to toughen up, to just get over it, just be happy, rejoice, this psalm opens up a line of communication to God with words that express what our hearts are feeling in a most critical moment. We are told to turn to God when we are most tempted to turn away from God, not with words that we don't feel like saying, but unimaginable words that we even wonder, am I allowed to say that? Because that's how I feel. Even if these words are so honest, so raw, that they feel extremely uncomfortable for us, this psalm tells us, yes, God wants you to be real with Him. God wants you to know that He does, in fact, listen. 
God can handle your extreme intensity of your emotions. God wants you to know that. He does care, even when you don't feel like he does. But I'm going to throw another, another reason why Psalm 88 is a gift to this church. Because this lament gives us a model for how we as the church who aren't going through what Psalm 88 is going through to help those who are. Right? Because what, what is something that I'm sure we've seen so often, maybe we've done it ourselves, is that instead of sitting with people through their pain, that pain is so uncomfortable for us because we, we're not there at the moment. The temptation is to quickly try to move them, rush them out of their grief, move on, right? Maybe keep quoting Romans 8.28 as we mentioned before, you know, subtly heaping guilt because they haven't moved on yet or somehow they haven't considered that verse before, right? But Psalms of Lament help us as a church to be okay to just stop, to just pause in the midst of suffering, to not try and ignore our emotions or doubts, to not try and move on as quickly as possible, but simply to allow the faith of our brothers and sisters to be worked out in their own time between them and God. This psalm helps us to offer words to others, to process the grief with God when they might not even know what words to pray to God. And Psalm 88 is, is I think, one of the best examples of this because how does the psalm end? It's not on a positive note. Psalm 88 ends with, darkness is my closest friend. It reminds us it is, it is okay to sit through an entire psalm and find no resolution. That after one sitting with your friend at a cafe, that they might still be in a place of utter darkness. But what the, what's the difference? They're not walking alone. But ultimately, to pray lament, to cry out to God whose sovereignty is unchallenged, it points to the same God who has brought us the gospel, Right? Psalm 88, I think, enhances the gospel because the gospel speaks of a God who has saved us. At what point? When we were righteous? When we were having it all together? No. This is the God who saved us at our weakest moment. The God who doesn't only bring salvation to have it all together, but the opposite. And so why do we think that we must have it all together as we sit there in suffering, thinking, God wouldn't want to listen to our pain, our loneliness, that we must just get over it, right, before we can turn to God again. No, no. If God had compassion on us while we were his enemies, Paul says in Romans, wouldn't he have so much more now that we're his friends, his children? Wouldn't he want us to be open and honest with him even more now that he is our heavenly father? Of course he would, right? And so this psalm puts that truth into action. And again, I'm not saying that we need to whip out Psalm 88 every, every time something slightly uncomfortable happens or inconvenient happens. But what I'm saying is that we need to be more comfortable with lament, right? We need to add lament to our toolbox, to our vocabulary. Add words and prayers that cry out to God into our tool set so that we can be much more balanced when we approach suffering, whether it's in our own lives or in the lives of others. 
Now, don't get me wrong as, as you hear this. I'm not saying that it's not right for us to move our brothers and sisters to a place of resolution, right? To move them so that, that they're not forever suck, stuck in, in their grief. Yes, we do want to do that. We do want to move them to a place where they can joyfully proclaim Romans 8:28. But for a little while, this psalm gives us a model of how to grapple with the fact that we live in a broken world, that we are broken people. A time is coming with when all will be perfected, when we will all look back on our suffering, no matter how deep, and rejoice. And we will rejoice in how that suffering has built us up. But that time hasn't arrived yet. And so while we wait, as we continue to live in our fallen world full of hurt and pain, as we live with mortal bodies, weak bodies, which cannot see God's glory fully yet, let's remember Psalm 88 to be reminded to cry out to God for His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven and to remind those hurting around us to cry out to the God who does hear, who does care, and who will one day wipe every tear from every eye. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who understands what we go through. You understand us so much to the point that you would give us a psalm like Psalm 88. And while we realize that Psalm 88 is only one psalm, that the final chapter for those who trust in you isn't just despair and darkness, we thank you that you have given us Psalm 88 to help those of us who are grieving to process that, to bring that to you. And so, Father, we pray that this church, your people, would be people who have Psalm 88 in their toolkit for when suffering comes, but also for the benefit to love our other brothers and sisters who might be suffering as well. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.